Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is Let Me Tell You. Now, here's Joan Hamburg. Stuart Brotman is a true Renaissance man. He's a government policymaker. He teaches at major universities. He's a management consultant. He's a lawyer. He's written many books. He advises presidents. He advises companies. He's one of the great experts in America on communications. And he has a new book called The First Amendment Lives On. And even if you're saying, I don't even know what this whole deal is with the First Amendment, we are living in very perilous times here. And it's absolutely essential that each and every one of us not only understand the importance of the First Amendment, but our obligation to commit to its values. And in Stewart's new book, The First Amendment Lives On, he has conversations with so many people who are leaders in this area. And it says right on the cover, conversations commemorating Hugh Hefner's legacy of enduring free speech and free press values. And I know that one of the people I work with said, what is Hefner? got to do with all of that. I thought he was playboy and bunnies and naked ladies. It turns out that Hugh Hefner has had for much of his life a real mission. And Stuart, how did you get involved with this and with them in terms of this new book? Thanks for having me, Joan. So it's an interesting story. I was granted access to Hef's personal scrapbooks for over 75 years. Every Saturday morning, he would spend time working on scrapbooks for what happened during the previous week. He typed out the captions. And over the course of his life, he compiled 3,000 scrapbooks, which holds the Guinness World Record for the most scrapbooks compiled by an individual. These scrapbooks were in the Playboy Mansion. They were reviewed by Hef and his family and his staff, they had never been viewed by anyone outside of that circle. And I was granted the extraordinary opportunity shortly after he passed away to be able to review these scrapbooks to get a sense of what I call the hard drive of his life, because this was his life obviously involving Playboy, but also his life outside of Playboy, all of the things he was involved with that didn't necessarily propel him in a business sense. And through that, I learned that he had this deep passion for the First Amendment, in particular free speech and free press values. I call that part of his DNA. And it was just very interesting to be able to discover that and see how he compiled and wrote about this in in very personal terms. So on the basis of that, I then discovered that his daughter, Christy Hefner, had established in 
honor something called the Hugh M. Hefter First Amendment Awards. These were established in 1979, and they continue to this day. And every year, these awards are given to people who I call exhibit a profile in courage in the First Amendment. These are teachers and librarians and filmmakers and academics and lawyers and cartoonists. Some of them are quite famous, people like Anthony Lewis, the columnist for the New York Times, or Jules Pfeiffer, the cartoonist, or Michael Moore, the documentary filmmaker, or Norman Lear. But most of the people are people from all walks of life who essentially stood up for the First Amendment. And in reviewing the list of those people who have won the First Amendment Award over those 40 years, there were about 150, 160 of them, I discovered that there was this incredible group of people that I then wanted to have conversations with. And those how those people were then selected, and I traveled around the country and conducted in-person conversations with them in the style of something that Hef had invented, which was called the Playboy Interview. And the Playboy interview was a literary art form, if you will, essentially a style of interviewing, which was not a typical question-answer journalistic interview, but much more of a deep conversation. And in order to conduct those interviews, typically the person who did them had to learn everything about the person they were going to have the conversation with. The first Playboy interview was 1962, very interesting interview with Miles Davis conducted by Alex Haley. And Alex Haley, who was the author of Roots, of course, over many years conducted a variety of Playboy interviews and a number of other leading authors and journalists. So what I did also was learn the style and the format of the Playboy interview so that I could then have these conversations with these extraordinary First Amendment champions. And this is an issue. Since you've been a kid, you've been involved in free speech issues. But I thought it was interesting, Stuart, in reading the book and meeting the eight people that you included in this, that the average American, even though these were not such average people, but the average American, the average individual, can really have an impact on public opinion, and can really make things happen. It's just they have to believe it, and that social change is possible. Absolutely, and when you look at the First Amendment Award winners, there are people like Tom Devine, who started a group called the Government Accountability Project, and he played a central role in Congress adopting the Federal Whistleblower Protection Act in 1989. So before then, if you were a government employee and you were a whistleblower, what happened to you? You got fired or you got reprimanded. Now there is federal protection, and it was this one person, obviously, who then built an organization and ultimately changed a law. And we see that over and over again. We see librarians who essentially resist government officials trying ban books or to interfere with internet software that's on computers and libraries. We see high school advisors who stand up on behalf of their student journalists and tell the administration or the Board of Education, no, you can't interfere with them. So it really is an extraordinary story in its 
itself of how these people have essentially stepped forward and committed themselves to free speech and free press values. And every one of those people is also in the book, in the back of the book. And as I said, the First Amendment Awards will continue. The next round of awards is going to be in September of this year. So it's a great story. And are you or did you come into this project depressed about the direction of the country? It seems like, in my recent memory, we have never been so divided. And there's never been, I mean, maybe there has been, but the anger you can almost touch out there. Well, I wanted to write this book as what I call an evergreen book. So certainly it's a book of the moment, but it's a book hopefully that five or 10 years from now, people will still refer to and look back because the conversations are so fundamental to our thinking and action in the First Amendment area. So the timing was right in terms of where we are as a country. These issues are so critical to our democracy and to the way that we essentially interact with each other. But beyond that, I really wanted people to be able to grasp the First Amendment in ways that were not necessarily academic. And so one thing I like about the book, and I hope you do too, is that it's very conversational. It's like being at a dinner party with these eight individuals. Uh And I think uh, when you read the book, you really get a sense not just of the idea of the First Amendment, but how these people came to champion it. Right. And because of our times with all social media and a lot of times the information we get isn't as reliable as it could be, it's more important than ever to understand the importance of free speech, the importance of the value and how we can each play a role, you know, not just making noise, but making something happen. Absolutely. And in fact, if you look at the dedication in the book, I say it's for all Americans who celebrate the glories of freedom of speech and freedom of the press and remain dedicated to protecting these cherished constitutional values. So I would hope after someone reads the book, they go back to that dedication and they too remain dedicated to protecting these cherished constitutional values. Are you, Stuart, optimistic about the future or the, we can even say with elections and everything happening and coming up very shortly, do you feel that we might see a turnaround? Well, the title book is the First Amendment lives on. And so I think there's a sense of optimism in there. What was interesting in the various conversations I had is typically I would ask the people that I was having the conversation with whether they felt optimistic or pessimistic. And I received a range of responses. I received uh, responses, for example, from Lucy Dalglish, who is now the dean of the Merrill College of Journalism at the University of Maryland and was the executive director of the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. And she's quite optimistic because she is training future journalists. And she said these students, future journalists, are really exciting in terms of their ability to do serious investigative journalism, which obviously is part of freedom of the press. And I think we've seen over the past four or five years a resurgence in investigative journalism. We just have to look at this year's Pulitzer Prizes. So in that sense, 
I'm quite optimistic. Uh, and then there are people in the book like Nadine Strassen, the former president of the Civil Liberties Union. Nadine, too, is optimistic because she believes that social media, even though it may give out misinformation or disinformation, is also this incredible forum for counter speech. So people can say things, but people can also respond to it. But I also discussed this with people like Jeff Stone, who's the former dean of the University of Chicago Law School, and Jeff was quite pessimistic. Jeff said, essentially, he's pessimistic about the future of our democracy, and if he's pessimistic about the future of democracy, that means obviously the First Amendment part and parcel of that. Uh, and then there were people like uh, David Cole, who's the legal director of the ACLU now. So David is quite optimistic, not in terms of the law, but in terms of civil society institutions. And we see that, obviously, people are in the streets, people are assembling, people are motivating themselves to talk about issues. And so he thinks that the real change is not necessarily going to go on in the formal political process, but through the actions of these civil society institutions. So I think it really ranges. I would tend to be probably more on the optimistic side, but I would incorporate all of those views in my thinking as well. Right. And in reading The First Amendment Lives On, you know, it's like giving us a little nudge. This is why we should care. But it's really, is it tough to get people to care? I mean, how do, how do you make them want to care? Well, part of it is uh, sensitivity to these issues. And what recommendation, not in the book, but one I've written about and I'm talking about since then, is this notion of maybe at the beginning of every baseball game, football game, basketball game, before we sing the Star Spangled Banner, maybe we should all stand up and recite the First Amendment. That those words are only 45 words, could be put on the jumbotron. And I think that would really be a good way for us to essentially verbalize and understand the First Amendment if we did this constantly at these athletic events. Plus, I think it's a nice pairing with the Star Spangled Banner, because obviously the First Amendment is at the core of why we fought for all of our liberties all these years. Right. It's, as you say, even on the cover, quoting a counsel for The New Yorker, it's a, it's part of committing to preserving the nation's constitutional protection, cherished and beloved and essential for us and for the country. Yes, and it's graduation time now, and right. I would hope that not just parents, but uh, grandparents and also graduating seniors from high school or from college would get this maybe as a graduation gift or maybe next fall when you're sending off your son or daughter to college, put this in their case and have them read it during their studies. That's for sure. Free speech, free press, free America, democracy. It's all part of Stuart Brotman's new book, The First Amendment Lives On. Congratulations. I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks so much, Joe.